0: Hello, this is Kevin Barrett saying it's a breath of fresh air to occasionally get some reasonably intelligent and erudite conversation on the radio, isn't it? Well, you've come to the right place, Truth Jihad Radio, where guests like tonight's guest, Dr. E. Michael Jones, come to hash things out. If you like this kind of radio, please go to kevinbarrett.substack.com and subscribe. You can also get there by way of Truth Jihad Welcome, this is the live version of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm your host, Kevin Barrett, broadcasting live every Friday, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 to 9 p.m. Central, where I am, and whatever time it is, wherever you are. It's a two-hour live show featuring some of the best people I can find who have interesting things to say that are perhaps a bit more illuminating than most of the pablum that you're being fed by the corporate-controlled mainstream. Tonight, we're going, well, we're going to Tehran, and we're also going to other places that the mainstream narrative won't take you. In the second hour, Scott Bennett, the U.S. Army PSYOPs officer and whistleblower, will be coming on to talk about the elections and about the seminar uh, that we had with Dr. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad a while back, and it finally got cleared for broadcast. And so it's out there. People can find it. Among other ways to find it would be, to go to my website, truthjihad.com, and then click on the radio show link. You'll come to the listing for this show, that is uh, Scott Bennett and or E. Michael Jones, and you'll find the embedded YouTube video of our seminar with Dr. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the former president of Iran. And that's also one of the items I'll touch upon in the first hour with Dr. E. Michael Jones of Culture Wars. He has a new article out in Culture Wars magazine called Requiem for a Figurehead about the passing of the Queen. And I guess all you need to really know about the passing of the Queen is uh, at PolitiFact, the fact checker, where if you go check out the rumor that Queen Elizabeth was a reptile, PolitiFact debunks that and says... Queen Elizabeth was a human, not a reptile. And then you can even click on the links to find the sources for that fact check. So now that we've got that straight, let's get a little bit deeper into it with Dr. E. Michael Jones. Hey, welcome, Mike. How are you doing?
1: Good, Kevin. Good to be here.
0: Hey, yeah, always always good checking in with you. So uh, your article, Requiem for a Figurehead, is a pretty good summary of several centuries of history, and you take issue with both the woke culture warriors who are heaping opprobrium and throwing rotten fruit and even stinkier things at the newly deceased queen, but also the folks like Tucker Carlson who respond by uh, throwing the rotten fruit and the other stinky things at the woke culture warriors. And you're telling us that the real story is a lot more interesting and uh, subtle and detailed than that. Uh, and that's always appreciated. And so uh, I don't know, do you, you want to talk about that first or talk about Dr. Ahmadinejad's seminar or the elections? There's all sorts of stuff to talk about.
1: I'd like to talk about uh, Queen Elizabeth parachuting into Wembley Stadium. <laughs> okay, uh, let's go you, there. Have, have you run that by fact check yet? Because I saw it with my own eyes. I saw this with my own eyes. She parachuted in, she was wearing a pink dress, and she was holding her pocketbook, too. So it was amazing. She must've been in her 90s when she did that. And you just, sure
0: that wasn't a Monty Python animation?
1: I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. But um I, it was a moving moment, I thought. Uh, but um well you're right, you're right. We had to, this this uh was ridiculous on both sides. So you had the all of a sudden everybody felt bound to vilify the dead, de mortuis nil nisi bonum you know, completely ignored that. And then, of course, Tucker Carlson came on with his version of Whig history. And that's it. So which is it? Which is it, Kevin? Is it critical race theory or is it Whig history? Which which one? Once again, we are confronted with two uh, e- equally repugnant alternatives, something like that. You're either
0: with us or you're with a terrorist.
1: I'm, I'm saying in life, we're always confronted with equally repugnant alternatives. And false dichotomies, too. Right. So uh, th- th- it completely uh, left out of the question any type of honest analysis of her life and how her life fit in with the uh, the history of England. Uh, I have a, f- a friend, um a priest friend, just gave a speech at Harvard, and he began by talking about um, the speech, Ulysses' speech in Troilus in Cressida. Uh, which I think would be a good place to begin, because- Shakespeare was a genius whenever he's talking about ancient Greece, you know he's talking about the Reformation in Elizabethan England uh, to throw everybody off the track, and I think he saw the whole outcome of the British Empire at its at its inception, so it begins by take away degree, uh untune that string, and hark what discord follows, and then he talks about uh, you know the sun will rise up against the father. But the the culmination of it is that uh, appetite is going to be the main uh, determinant of what is true, what is true, what is false, and there's going to be strife. And the only way we're going to be able to understand anything is who comes out as the victor in this battle of endless strife, the endless jar against each other. And then uh, he says basically at the end of it. I mean, that's kind of like uh, Adam Smith's economics. Uh, the, the English love strife. That's what Darwinism is all about. Uh, Newton took uh, Empedocles, who said uh, that the universe was run on love and strife and emphasized strife, turned it into gravity and inertia. Uh, so it's a kind of history, history of what happened in England. And That's important because we speak English and we kind of live within the orbit of that culture.
0: Yeah, we're part of the Anglosphere.
1: But, uh, but it, 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 it doesn't help you understand what, what happened here. And so the, the short answer to the question is basically the whole idea of the common good died with the Reformation. It's that simple. And the guy who understood it was William Cobbett who wrote a history of the Reformation in England and Ireland. You're saying that
0: the Protestants uh, untuned
1: that string. They did. Yes, they did. And I'm saying that it's it's not really, uh, you're not doing this situation justice by referring to them as Protestants, uh, because this really had nothing to do with religion. Nothing. The English Reformation had nothing to do with religion, other than using religion as an excuse to loot church property. This was a looting expedition. That's all it was. There's not one scintilla of theological justification involved in this thing until after the fact. In this regard, it was different than Luther's version of the Reformation in Germany, which did begin, as Pope Leo X said, uh, as a quarrel among monks largely orchestrated by, by Luther. This, this was not that. It was simply the uh, aristocracy deciding that they wanted that church property and they were willing to basically overthrow the social order in order to get it. So it was a celebration of greed and looting. The R.H. Tony said the upstart aristocracy had their teeth in the carcass and they weren't going to be whipped off by a sermon. I think that's an accurate presentation of what happened. And the consequences were that basically you had a, 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 a class of alien oligarchs uh, whose allegiance was not to the English people. It was not to England. It was to this transnational operation, which eventually became known as capitalism. But I think at this time it was probably fair to say it was known as Protestantism before it cracked up into all the different sects. And, and uh, they viewed uh, the, their fellow Englishmen as something to be exploited, not something that we're, we're not in this together. Cobbett said if, 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 before the Reformation, you could go six miles in any direction and you'd find an institution of the Catholic Church that would take you in for the night. And if you were sick, they'd nurse you back to help. All of that was obliterated by the Reformation. It it was the great privatization operation uh, where they stole the wealth of the British people. They put it in private hands and the people, the English people were simply expelled to wander around homeless without occupation uh, until they starved to death. Uh, And the only reason they didn't starve to death is because they became robbers, highway highwaymen, robbers. It's the only way they could keep themselves in existence. And Belloc says the, the, the first time that they really found any type of <clears throat> position, secure position in the society was with the Industrial Revolution. <laughs> and that was hardly secure. I mean, that was another ruthless exploitation of the British people. So the whole idea of the common good evaporated completely. It's a, it's a medieval notion that disappeared completely. And uh, uh, it was codified. Uh, uh Over a period of time, the Whig oligarchs took power In uh with the Glorious Revolution. James II was the legitimate heir, but he was a Catholic, and they didn't want a Catholic king because Catholics tended not to honor usurious contracts. And they wanted someone to honor usurious contracts because the big plan in the Whig mind at that point was to create the Bank of England. Now, that's which one of the they- problems
0: with Islam, too, of course. One of the reasons uh, the oligarchs don't like it too much, either.
1: Right. Which they did in 1792. And at this point, Cobbett said uh, the one group of Englishmen, the Whig oligarchs, became tax eaters and they got fat off of all the other Englishmen who became taxpayers. You cannot have a, a common good. You could not have an, a united society when you have one person uh one group of creditors and the other group of debtors. It, it will never work out.
0: It sounds kind of like the situation we're facing in the USA today with a bunch of oligarchs. Exactly,
1: yeah, don't it's care a, about the
0: common good.
1: Right. It's exactly the, it's because we speak English and, and our heritage is English, and we inherited all this type of stuff. Uh, and uh even in rebellion against uh England, so you had somebody like Hamilton who got got it right when he wrote the S letter on manufacturers. And then got it wrong when he got the letter on banking. And and you had this house divided again. And at a certain point in American history, you had uh, people like Andrew Jackson, who bore a scar on his forehead from an English sword because he refused to polish an English officer's boots, who had this animosity against England and thought America was created as the antithesis of England. But that all ended by the end of the 19th century when you had the great rapprochement and uh, people like Randolph Churchill came over here and looking for a a rich wife and went back with Jenny. And at this point, the American elites felt they had more in common with English noblemen than they did with, I don't know, Italians from Sicily who lived in New York or or Jews from uh, Ukraine or Vilnius or Irishmen, this was, again, this division, it's been the the, the tragedy of American life, and now we've got it institutionalized again. So here, here comes Queen Elizabeth into the story. She did nothing. I mean, God bless her. You know, I mean, I was moved to tears when she parachuted into Wembley Stadium, a lady that old. But she did nothing to stop the decline that was England. And, okay, what did you do? Kevin, to stop the decline in England, you did nothing too, but but you weren't... It wasn't my of, job. <laughs> you weren't the head of the Church of England, were you? I don't think you
0: know, so.
1: She, she was. She was, and it was during this period of time that they, you know, uh, capitulated on uh, homosexuality. They capitulated on everything that came across. Abortion. Chief did nothing to uphold the moral order, which was her duty as the Queen of England. Uh, the head of the church. And I don't, I I just, it turns, the the church was exposed as the sham that it is. It was the result of looting. It was only interested in some type of maintaining of the loot, uh, if not for themselves and for the the oligarchs who had it. And uh, so you have the sad story of the decline of England uh, because of the queen. You know, God bless the queen. But she, what did she do? Nothing. Nothing to protect her own people. It had, she had lost the habit. The English long ago lost the habit that they were working together for the good of the common people. And I think the man who understood stood that the best was Karl Marx, because he, he, wh- why, why did he talk so much about class? Well, why class conflict? Well, because he did all his research in the, the British Library. He was he was an Anglophile was born in Germany, but he spent his adult life in England admiring the English, especially their economic system.
0: Well, he, he thought the, the English were out ahead of the rest of Europe, which may have been true in terms of manufacturing and, and commerce and so on.
1: Yeah, and they were at the time he wrote. And by the time the end of the 19th century arrived, let's say 1910, Germany, first of all, Germany united in 19, uh, 1871. And then uh, that uh, got uh, the the B- Bishop von Kettler uh, persuaded Bismarck that the Catholics weren't the enemy because that was the first campaign, the Kult- Kulturkampf, that basically attacked the Catholics. It convinced him that the communists were the enemy, that he could work with the Catholics. And so at that point, uh, uh, Bismarck instituted Social Security and, health insurance, the working class stopped hemorrhaging to places like America. So half I'm half German. I'm part of that hemorrhage.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah, me, once, me too, actually. Yeah. We're, we're once, both Irish German, I guess. Same tribe.
1: Right. The greatest uh, uh, mixed race combination in the world. We're both <laughs> great biracial people. But uh, by 1910, because of the consolidation of the workforce, because labor is the source of all value, uh, the Germans finally got their act together and they created this powerful industrial machine, which at this point surpassed England. And this was at the point where Lord Gray and Churchill decided that they had to lure Germany into a war. So it's, it's this kind of tragedy. Uh, that yeah,
0: same thing is still repeating itself
1: today, isn't it? Yeah, that's the tragedy, isn't it? We could go on and on about tragedy. So... You know that led to World War Two, World War One, World War Two. That led to the collapse of England. England went bankrupt trying to uh, just uh, conquer the Germans. That led to communism, and then communism fell, and then once again the the oligarchs, and this time Jeffrey Sachs decides uh, he and his boys are going to go back to type. We're we're really Englishmen, and what do Englishmen love to do? They love to loot your economy. And so the Jewish oligarchs uh, under Jeffrey Sachs looted the Russian economy <clears throat> and nearly destroyed the uh, people. The population actually went down, <clears throat> and that led to the rise of Vladimir Putin, and that led to this inexorable march eastward that led to the war we're in now. So it's you know one sad story after another. You, you think
0: Jeffrey Sachs is trying to make up for that by his yeah. recent truth-telling?
1: That's what that's what I've, I've heard. I think the, the Jesuits, I think I know the Jesuit who uh, created a kind of metanoia. Uh, so I think he's I think he's sincere. I think he sincerely believes he's he's, tell, he's telling the truth. I think he is telling the truth on a number of things. I, I, I've never seen any public statement of repentance for what he did in to the Soviet Union, to Russia. Um, maybe that will come. Maybe this doesn't want to talk about it in public. Mm-hmm. But I think he certainly has turned a new leaf. I think that's true.
0: Yeah, his his analysis of what's really going on with the war seems to be pretty accurate, as well as his discussion of COVID origins and, origins and, and uh, pinning that on the U.S. biowarfare industry uh, looks pretty accurate, too. Uh, it's kind of astounding that he's talking about both of those things. Uh, but, yeah, it's, isn't it interesting how this current war of the Anglosphere uh, against Germany and Russia, sort of, you know, pitting uh, the two against each other so that they can't ever sort of team up and trade and create a new, uh, thriving, vibrant, economically successful power center on the Eurasian continent, which would then marginalize the islands, the English-speaking islands like Britain and indeed uh, North America, uh, that just, we're just repeating the same thing that happened back in the 19th century.
1: Yeah, and it's English culture, too. It's the McKinder thesis. The book of Halford, Halford McKinder, I think it was early 1904 or something like that. Uh, the Pivot of Civilization, which says, you know, the the island nations, which you just described. Have to break up any consolidation of the Eurasian landmass. It's still the playbook. It's so obvious with the pipeline, <laughs> a complete act of state terrorism. Apparently, the British did it. Apparently, Liz Truss uh, uh, texted. Anthony Blinken saying it's done. Well, the English don't do anything without the permission of the Americans. So here's America's greatest ally in, in Europe right now, the head of NATO, the bulwark against communism in the fifties and sixties. And we turn on them and, and basically plunge them into an energy crisis where, uh, it's like, it's the Morgenthau plan all over again. You know about the Morgenthau Plan, right?
0: Absolutely, yeah. That that was the uh, the planned uh, Holocaust of the German people, um, and uh, yeah, that that was uh, uh, partially carried out. Apparently, uh, some historians count the number of German deaths up in the in the low millions. So uh, it's it's kind of amazing that the German people have been so cowed and beaten down that they put up with this.
1: I'm I'm shocked. I mean, it. Uh, but I was there during the seventies. I I knew uh I, a lot of the former soldiers who had been in the Wehrmacht some of them had been shipped off to Siberia uh or no Vorkuta wasn't it, it was that so that's where they were Vorkuta up on the that peninsula the Kola peninsula digging a canal uh, they were great people they were great people they were the fathers of the the students I had in school fathers of people I knew my generation and, uh, the one guy said, we gave our best lives to Hitler, you know, so they came back and tried to rebuild their lives. And, and at this point, it, 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 I think people were fairly optimistic, but again, it got wrecked. It got wrecked. That's when the wave of pornography swept over Germany. I watched the, the, these things show up in the local theater. The Catholic church by this point had run up the white flag in fighting obscenity and it, they, they you know, Lots of people got swept away by this kind of flood of garbage. And now you've got a generation. I guess that, that Lady Bear book, uh would probably be uh, the age of uh, my students' children. If not, yeah, it would have to be their children. Maybe, maybe even grandchildren. Anyway, she's totally drunk to Kool-Aid. She feels that it's a virtuous act to basically to con- to condemn the Germans to freeze to death in their apartments this winter. For the Ukraine, they, the Germans, just to show you how far it's going, the Germans, uh, the Greens are now opening coal mines. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought you guys were against burning coal. Isn't that a bad thing? They've already shut down the uh, nuclear reactors. Now they're opening coal mines. Anything but confront the fact that the Americans blew up your pipeline. Yeah. Why can't they do this? Uh,
0: is, is there any other nation? That has internalized this kind of self-hating narrative that, you know, we are the bad guys. I mean, obviously the, the woke movement is trying, is pushing that here in the United States to some extent and maybe in other European countries. But if you, you know, if you look around the world, I mean, like the French, for example, rather than admitting that uh, you know, the vast majority of us supported the the Germans uh, during Vichy and so on. Uh, instead, the French have pretended that they're all they were all members of the heroic French Resistance and they loved De Gaulle and all that sort of thing. You know, everywhere you go, whether it's the Turks who say that there wasn't really any Armenian genocide and they have this long story about why that's the case. Or the Japanese, who tend to belittle the crimes they committed during World War II in places like China. And I could go on and on and on. But almost everywhere in the world, there's a tendency for people to tell the story of their history in such a way that is relatively favorable to themselves. And in Germany, it's the opposite. They have been inculcated with this myth of German villainy has, I believe there's a book by that title. And uh, if you go back to world war one, it's obvious that the Germans were far from the main villains. They actually pushed a peace plan. I was actually exchanged some emails with Ron Unz about this recently. He was uh, surprised that these mainstream histories completely ignore the German peace plan of uh, 1917. And uh, it, it's, admitted everyone admits it happened but it's just all these mainstream histories completely ignore it and he, he was confused about you know wh- whether you know how how could something as important be left out how can these mainstream history books say uh, you know deny that there was ever any attempt to uh, have a peace uh, during world war one when everybody knows there was this german instigated uh, peace attempt um, but all that's been airbrushed out of history because apparently the myth of German villainy has to reign supreme, and especially with the German people. And so they're so cowed and so beaten down and so brainwashed into believing that they are the world's worst villains that I guess it's okay for the Americans to come in and blow up their pipeline and starve them and freeze them to death and then sell them uh, liquid the gas it. at a vast markup.
1: Yeah, we deserve it. Uh, it's it's, it's the, the problem here, I hate to say this, but the problem is Christianity. Or the, or the the lack of Christianity. Well, so you got a lady like uh, Frau Baerbock, and you listen to her. She's talking about the Ukraine, and you know, I love you, Ukraine. What, what is this? Your what is this? Your boyfriend? Do you have a boyfriend? What what's going on here? Uh, and I don't care what the German people say. What what where did this come from? I think it's there's this deep Christian consciousness that has been corrupted. Uh, largely because of the sexual revolution. And the sexual revolution, nothing happened in Germany without the approval of the Allies. Nothing, absolutely nothing. And that means the sexual revolution was an Allied plot against the German people. It began with the Kinsey Report, which showed up in all these illustrated magazines and allowed them to put pictures of naked women in there because, hey, this is science. And it, it just got worse after that. The American... Out occupational forces promoted this type of uh, cultural subversion. And the Germans fell for it hook, line and sinker. And over this period of time, the Christianity, the true Christianity that they were taught, evaporated. And it was replaced by something else, which they pursue with even more fervor than they pursued Christianity. So it's this weird uh, ecological ideology that the Greens promote. That, that's, that's part of it. But I think, I mean, I've, I've been doing work on this lately. It's the Holocaust narrative. Okay. They accepted, the, they accepted the Holocaust narrative and now the Holocaust narrative is going down the drain. There's too much, too many holes. The ship is going down. It's leaking. It became as produced by Hollywood. It became an excuse for one preposterous story after another that it almost immediately blew up uh Benjamin uh fragments. Just to give you one instance. Oh wait a minute, his name wasn't Benjamin Vilkomirsky. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't live in Latvia, and he made it all up. But Debbie Lipstadt said it was uh, a Holocaust classic. That's all you needed to say. That all this type of stuff is blowing up, but the Germans are simply—they're holding on to it with religious fervor. And I think that the, uh, I think the main man responsible this, for this was Joseph Ratzinger.
0: Maybe so. Well, the old uh, saying that every Jewish holiday is the same. Uh, they tried to kill us; we won. Let's <laughs> eat. If you flip that upside down, it becomes sort of the German version of that: is we tried to kill them, they won. So let's exterminate let's, ourselves.
1: Let's starve. Let's starve to death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, so Ratzinger took over, he's a genius, a wunderkind of the German Catholic Church, uh, was taken down to Rome uh, by Cardinal Frings to be his paritus, and when he got there, he basically orchestrated a, a coup, coup de gris, uh where he basically, uh, the man who called the council was Cardinal Ottaviani, that got thrown out, his documents got thrown out by Ratzinger, Ratzinger brought this new positive, uh, positive outlook on life because the Germans didn't want to look into the past. They were uh, oppressed by their own past. And uh, it basically allowed the Holocaust narrative to come into to the church and inform things like Catholic-Jewish dialogue, which uh, just led to uh, one disaster after another, basically crippling the Catholic church in its ability to oppose Jewish moral subversion. It was that simple. The United States was a classic example. You know, the Jews were going to dialogue with them. They're our brothers now. They're elder brothers. Well, why are they promoting, promoting pornography? And why is it all of a sudden uh, we learned uh, recently that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value? Why did all this, where was all this during the Catholic Jewish dialogue? Why weren't we told this? We're supposed to be against abortion, or we're supposed to fight anti-Semitism. That's a contradictory uh, message. And the problem is that the church internalized it, and now it's crippled. The Catholic Church is crippled in combating any any evil.
0: And, you know, from an, an uh, anthropological perspective, Mike, you could say that it's the, there, there's a, actually kind of a mechanism, a social mechanism that explains why, as you suggest, the sexual revolution and this uh, kind of breakdown of traditional morality would lead to a, a kind of a, a self-immolation, you know, a kind of a self-extermination, that, like we were talking about with the German reversal of the, the Jewish uh, holiday line, right? So that's uh, the, typically sexual energy is restrained by these restrictions that basically uh, restrict it to... procreation and procreative families so when uh, people's energy is put in it's limited and bottled up in procreative families then it also leads to a a much higher energy kind of social networking based on families and especially extended families you get a much more vibrant social life now i noticed this uh, visiting islamic countries that there's a much, much more high energy, vibrant kind of social life that's all built around these uh, family structures. And the reason for that is that the purpose of life is to procreate, to create families, and then to have uh, social intercourse for the betterment of uh, of of these groups, right? Rather than in, in the decadent Western countries like Germany, where the birth rate is down to about one child per woman, uh, the purpose of life is sexual intercourse simply for the purpose of individual pleasure, and all other you know, social bonds are basically all broken down. And so the, the whole German society and Western societies in general are atomized, individualistic, hedonistic, and not capable of reproducing themselves and not capable of producing a, a rich kind of social life and, a, and, and social networks that sustain it. So I think there is a sort of an obvious anthropological mechanism that explains why, as you say, when the religion uh, fades and the people's morals uh, fade as well, that you end up with the, these societies that are basically just dying out.
1: That's right. That's right. So I re- I remember I graduated from high school in 1966, and you'd go down to a place like Ocean City on the Jersey Shore, and all you could see, as far as the eye could see, were eighteen-year-olds, or maybe nineteen-year-olds, or seventeen-year-olds. But it was young people from as far as you could see. I'm I'm not exaggerating. And they would all be standing milling around, and you kind of you know socialize with all these people. Uh, and and uh, what happened? That, that was the baby boom. That was the baby boom as teenagers. And uh, what happened after that is that uh, these, were, these were mostly Catholics, too. This was a Catholic town. Ta- I mean, originally, I think it was Methodist that created Ocean City. But by this time, it was mostly Catholics who went there. And uh, what happened at this period of time is that all those the nuns who ran the religious orders for the girls academy, academies in suburban Philadelphia, which is where I went to high school not far from where Benjamin Netanyahu went to high school, by the way. Uh, They uh, became, the nuns became feminists. The girls became sexually active. Uh, Once you become sexually active, uh, some of them became pregnant. Uh, Once that happened, some of them had abortions. And now we finally realize what happened because after these Catholic girls had abortions, uh, they could have repented. Uh, Some of them did. Many of them did not, and at this point they became Jews. Now how do we know that? Well, because now we know that abortion is a fundamental Jewish value. We didn't know this before May, which is when Roe was overturned. Now I, I said hundred forty organizations, a hundred conservative rabbis got together in St. Louis last week and announced that abortion is a conservative Jewish value. Who knew? Well, I'm going to take it a little bit farther and I'm going to say it's not only that, it's the Jewish sacrament and it's the Jewish sacrament of initiation. This is how you become a Jew now. And that's what happened to these Catholic girls. And how do I know that? How do I know that they became Jews? Because they vote like Jews. And so how do I know they vote like Jews? Well, because Josh Shapiro just won the election in Pennsylvania. There aren't enough Jews in Pennsylvania to get Josh Shapiro elected dog catcher in Harrisburg. How did he get elected? It was the Catholic vote, the Catholic woman's vote. It's always the Catholic vote is the swing vote in the United States of America. And this is what happened in both Pennsylvania, because I know that I knew that because that's where I'm from. But it also happened in Michigan. This is the world we live in now, and that's how it came about.
0: So the, if you're male, you convert to Judaism with a circumcision, and your blood right, if you're a woman, is an abortion. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so what do you think about the election? Uh, outcome, the lack of the red tidal wave. That's, that's right.
1: I'm, I'm talking about the election right yeah, now.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is, is, so so to, what, to what extent was this abortion thing responsible for what happened in the election?
1: I think it was totally responsible. I'm I mean, I'll focus on Pennsylvania and Michigan. They have large Catholic populations in these states. How does a Jew get elected governor in a, in a state where the, there's a large Catholic population and a relatively small Jewish population? How does that happen? It's because the Jewish, because the Catholic women became Jews through abortion. Abortion is the crucial factor in these, in these uh, elections now. The, the, the Democrats have, have figured out how to mobilize the guilt. That women feel when they have abortions. This is a fundamental pillar of the Democratic Party, and you can't understand the outcome of this election unless you start talking about these issues.
0: Interesting. You know, I, I had a very uh, interesting conversation with a kind of middle aged older woman when I was knocking on doors for Ron Johnson in uh, Spring Green, Wisconsin. Hey, that rhymes. Uh, I encountered this this woman and, you know, I, I kind of started by asking, you know, who do you support her? And, uh, and then she immediately launched into this thing of, uh, well, you know, I, I don't usually care that much about politics, but um, my, uh, you know, my niece and my granddaughter uh, uh, really need to have the same kinds of rights that we had when I was young. And so, you know, we really need to save their abortion rights, and that's the only thing I really care about. Yeah. Hmm, okay.
1: That's true. I, I, I think that lady is telling you the absolute truth. Because once you commit an act like that you uh you are burdened with this tremendous guilt well, She she
0: even... looked really guilty when she was you know her her well, if yeah, if, you, but... if I'd filmed it her demeanor was really kind of depressive it was weird
1: That's right so these people these people are, are so depressed they've reached that age now where they're just totally depressed they're sitting at home and so this is the the uh, Democrats now text them and they send them mail in ballots because they're so depressed they won't even go to the polls even uh, but they still have this this guilt that the Democratic Party is mobilizing as a powerful force in politics now. Wow. I'd say the most power. if you're talking about women voters, Catholic women voters, it's probably the most powerful force. I, I would say one way or the other. You know, I, I hadn't of, thought about
0: the guilt being the powerful force. I would sort of thought about it as the sort of thing where people vote for what they think benefits their egos and you know they're they're seeking power and pleasure and a little more money you know people vote their pocketbook you know that sort of thing that you know self-interested lowest common denominator vote i just assumed that well you know these people their lives are alive you know they feel like their lives are easier if there's abortion access they're going to vote for that but your your suggestion that guilt plays a part uh, is is really interesting i think you're onto something
1: yeah because what are you going to do there are two options you can confess your sin and be absolved, or you can make wrong right. and how do you, what's the best way to make wrong right? Well, gather a lot of people together who committed the same sin, and that's called feminism now. And the Democratic Party mobilizes this group of women because they feel good when they get together in a crowd because it can't be that bad if all these people did it, and they kept this they start spouting this basically. Jewish rhetoric now about the nobility of killing your children. It's its a big issue. It's a big issue. It's not going to go away. It's not going to go away.
0: And that leads to one of the issues that came up in our conversation with Dr. Ahmadinejad in the roundtable we participated in back in August and that just got released. He seemed to be professing a kind of what sounded almost like a, some new breed of humanism. And of course I asked him, but you know, is isn't this the exact problem with the West is that it went to humanism, that is the idolatrous worship of the human being, rather than continuing to worship God. And of course, you know, this humanism seeks power and pleasure and all of that all of the, the these kinds of material world values for the human. And abortion adds gives, you know, power and pleasure to the adult human. It may kill a lot of little baby humans, but whatever. Uh in any case, uh Dr. Ahmadinejad Answered that he's, he, you know, he kind of finessed it, and suggested the kind of humanism that he's supporting is, is you know, humane values, you know, not the, not the idolatrous worship of the human, like uh, the, the Western version has been. Uh, so, what, what are your thoughts on, on that aspect of what we talked about?
1: I've, I, I found, I, 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 felt that uh, we didn't have a true meaning of the minds. That I think there's just there were just too many barriers. The language barrier was one. I think that we were trying to get to know each other so we could never really nail down something or other. I asked him about the demographic crisis, which I think is something that the the Iranians have to solve this. They have to solve this as quickly as possible. And now we've got another crisis and this crisis, the hijab crisis. It's the same thing. It's exactly the same thing that is happening in America. It's just a different group of women, but the, 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 the the women have been turned into revolutionaries in Iran, largely by the CIA, but also the, the problem was that the supreme leader allowed birth control to come in in 1989. So that's the problem. You got the, so you got women who are basically an assault on fertility. Either through abortion or through, through contraception that is eating away. It's eating away inside these women. And at a certain point it eats away and it becomes intolerable. And then someone is there to orchestrate this sense of anger or guilt or betrayal or whatever you want to call it, dissatisfaction. Uh, and it's, you know, the CIA in Iran and it's the Democratic party in, in America. But you're talking about the same thing, using women who have been had their fertility tampered with as proxy warriors, because you understand that there's some type of deep dissatisfaction here that can be mobilized politically to create a revolutionary situation.
0: Interesting. Well, I recently had a back and forth with somebody commenting on some one of my posts. Uh, there was a woman who suggested that People who think like you and me, I guess you even more than me, are trying to keep women barefoot and pregnant and kind of locked up in the house and so on and so forth and of course this this person sort of identified Islam with that, and you know my uh, my quick response was to uh, cite a there's a half hour long analysis of the new Tolkien movie. The new Lord of the Rings spinoff, or whatever, that seems to sort of take a, uh, a, a kind of a very different uh, philosophical point of view from the traditional Catholicism of the uh, the original, and right. that that explanation kind of gets down ultimately to the, the idea that the kind of the Lord of the Rings world is a world in which uh, happiness comes from humility and accepting who you are and not trying to you know do anything particularly heroic or step outside of yourself or what have you but to accept the kinds of uh you know biological and uh, other realities that yes. you've been given and that that's that's true happiness and and you know I I would agree with it to me that's that's islamic you know Tol- Tolkien was catholic but uh submission to god or surrender to god giving up the uh, part of the self that, you know, the satanic part of the self that always wants to rebel and be something bigger and greater and self-aggrandized, you know, that's, that's very much Islamic moral as well. And so this notion that women are going to be utterly miserable if they do, you know, what, what their biology is kind of, you know, asking them to do and what all humans have had to do. And it's just, you know, what we all do naturally biologically uh, seems to freak them out. They's it's like rebelling against reality, Rebelling yeah. against our biology seems to be all of the rage. And of course, we see this in extreme fashion with all of the uh, you know the deification of the trannies and things like that. So all of that seems to me to be kind of like obviously satanic in a sense, right? If, if the shaitan you know the, shaitana, the bila is the embodiment of this kind of rebellion against God's order uh, and the temptation of humans to join him in that rebellion, then what we're living through is a satanic era in, in Western culture, isn't it?
1: yeah Uh, and the devil promises uh, promises you liberation and you end up being a slave and that's that's exactly the trajectory of sexual liberation there is a logos to sexuality and you your happiness depends on your understanding that and accepting it and living it and if you you can rebel against it but that will lead to to misery so i mean when you mentioned barefoot and pregnant i was uh I was in uh, when, we, when we were in Tehran once. I was at the Basiji headquarters, and I t- I, ha- I was I decided to be bold. I decided to address the the birth control issue, and I said, "Throw away your birth control pills." And at this point, Yvonne Ridley was sitting next to me, and she had she uh, uh, was an English journalist who had gone to Afghanistan, been captured by the Taliban, and she became a Muslim. And she turned to me and she said, you just want to keep these women barefoot and pregnant. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's pretty, it's a common trope, isn't
1: it? It is a common trope. So I said, wait a minute. Are, are you, are, are you, a, are you a Muslim or not? I, I mean, what, where does this come? This sounds like I said, when I got into the car, I said, I said, Yvonne, this is, this is the Rockefeller party line. What's this got to do with? With Islam. And then she just repeated the whole thing there. The, the ladies were appalled at her impoliteness, but I'm saying it's so, it's so deep seated. It's so deep seated.
0: Mm. It, well, it, y- Yvonne was a pretty hardcore feminist before she came to Islam. And right. I don't think she's like completely changed that aspect of herself.
1: No, she still is. She still has that attitude. It was like a uh, Aesop's fable about the lady who was a cat and the mouse ran across the room and she jumped up and started chasing the mouse. Because nature will out. And so it was, uh, 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 well, whatever it is. I mean, I, this is, it, it, it brought that to mind when you said barefoot and pregnant. We have to have a discussion here. We have to have a serious discussion and uh, about the logos of sexuality. And how all of this experimentation uh, has led to misery. And the only happiness can be in following the will of God as expressed in his creation, and we are creatures of His. And we, are, because we are creatures, we have a plan inscribed in us, and we have to know that plan and carry it out if we want to be happy. That's 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 the that's the message. And I think, look, I'm going to be honest with you. I think the message is getting out because I think that, uh, like I do these uh, podcasts with Gemma O'Doherty in Ireland, and uh, I think the Irish are now having uh, buyer's remorse about you know their abortion referendum their gay marriage referendum I said uh, and now they have hate speech they just passed hate speech legislation I said does this surprise you you know beneath the uh, uh, velvet glove of sexual liberation you're always going to find the iron fist of political control and now the Irish I think are starting to wake up to that fact.
0: Yeah, so. re- reading some of the Substack writings of John Waters, not to be confused with the uh, very bizarre, uh, degenerate American filmmaker uh, that, that Irish John Waters is uh, is a bit of a traditional Catholic journalist. He's quite eloquent, fun guy to read. Um, but, uh, well, you know, Mike, we, we don't have a whole lot of time left here. I don't know if – I did also want to ask you about uh, the Can- Kanye and Kyrie controversy. That they apparently spoke that J word that you were notoriously associated with also speaking and lost billions of dollars. I bet you never lost
1: billions of dollars. No, I didn't. I didn't. And I've said it a lot more times than Kanye has. Actually, <laughs> I, I do, I do, I do have a theory here about what happened here. Now, if the if you focus on Kyrie, we, we pronounce it Kyrie. Uh, we don't say Kyrie Elays on it, Mass. But anyway, if you focus <laughs> on Kyrie, uh, it seems completely insignificant. I mean, he tweeted uh, a, a recommendation for a movie. Okay, well, he didn't, didn't
0: even recommend it. He just had had a link in the tweet. That just you yeah, know, basically that just means hey, this is interesting. Where yeah. it doesn't even say whether he likes it or
1: dislikes it. Right. So why is it suddenly World War Three at the ADL? What's going on here? Uh, why, why, first of all, Jonathan, hold on, take a deep breath, take a step back, count to 10. You, you just wrecked the best revolutionary operation in America. It was called the Black Jewish Alliance. It's been in existence for a hundred years. The NAACP was created by Jews to keep blacks on the plantation. And you were successful. The most successful uh, resurrection of the Black Jewish Alliance was the, Black Lives Matter. Everybody thought it was died in 67. Now it comes back with a vengeance. And Jonathan, you just wrecked it. Why did you do that? Why did the ADL shoot itself in the foot? This guy named Lyle uh, Leibovitz just wrote an article saying the ADL has to go. It's, It's an awful order. This is a Jew saying this. So, why did you do this? I think the answer is because they needed something immediately to cover up the really damaging revelations that came out in the Kanye West scandal.
0: Okay. And what were those?
1: The fact that he had a personal trainer by the name of Harley. uh, What was this? What was the. uh, Harley,
0: yeah. What was his
1: name? Pastor. It was a past. Who was the famous novelist? Pastorak. Uh,
0: Boris Pastorak?
1: Yeah. So it's Harley Pastorek. OK. OK. So oh wait a minute. He, he's your personal trainer. And then he tweets to Kanye uh, published the tweet. Uh, you know, uh, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to have you sh- uh, institutionalized where you'll be shot up with drugs and you will never uh, see your children again. Or something yeah, like that. Yeah,
0: that, that was a pretty nasty threat. I mean, I've heard of you'll never work in this town again. They talk yeah, probably, this... you know, but Mel Gibson heard that a few times. But but you know, we're going to take your kids away and institutionalize you. And,
1: whoa. Well, this this tough. is really serious, and it's not the first time this has happened. So Google uh, Marilyn Monroe's uh, Jewish psychiatrist. Uh, back in the 50s, you weren't called a personal trainer. You were called a psychiatrist when you had to take control of people's lives. But the thing is similar because uh, that guy Greenman, Greensman, whatever his name was, shot Marilyn Monroe full of drugs, uh, probably killed her. And here this guy, uh, Pasternak, is talking, got con- connections with the Canadian psychological warfare operation. And he tells this guy on camera that, yeah, I have access to really powerful drugs. Oh, wait a minute. This is getting really serious. And all these A-listers there are basically under the control of this, this Jewish, uh, uh personal trainer who will threaten if you get out of line, he'll threaten to uh, shoot you up with drugs, have you institutionalized and take away your children.
0: You know, I understand that Sirhan Sirhan's Jewish uh, personal trainer said, if you keep going to these pro-Palestinian demonstrations, you know, I'm, I'm going to, uh, make sure that <laughs> you're locked up for the rest of your life. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just joking, semi-joking here, but I think Sirhan Sirhan probably did actually have a Jewish personal trainer who was skilled in hypnotherapy, but that's another topic for a different radio show. Uh, yeah, yeah I, th- I think you're right, Mike. I think, uh, I think K- uh, Kanye, uh, really, you know, by putting that out there, you would think that the the whole world would take his side, and I mean, a lot. I think a lot of the world has.
1: But Well, the black, the blacks in general have it. Uh, unless uh, these token guys like Shaq O'Neal, o- 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 who or, or Charles Barkley, or Kareem Abdul Jabbar. All of these uh, guys on the plantation who attack uh, Kanye uh, as if to say, no, there's no such thing as Jewish control.
0: Yeah, what, what's wrong with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? You know, I, I used to really like him when I was a kid and he was winning championships for the Milwaukee Bucks. And, and he was a feisty Muslim troublemaker back then. I mean, what happened to that guy? Did they
1: lobotomize him? He called, him, he called uh, Kanye an anti-Semite. No, no, Kyrie, Kyrie he called Kyrie an anti-Semite. Yeah,
0: yeah, so Kareem is, uh, you know, he's, he's still uh, probably close to seven feet tall, but he's lost a lot of uh, intellectual and moral stature. I mean, you know, he's becoming an embarrassment to the American Muslim community.
1: So they basically divided the, the uh, black community. So the point of Lyle Leibovitz's article is that the people who are going to pay the price here are the little Jews. And it's going to be places like Brooklyn, where uh, you have this intense confrontation here between blacks and Jews on street level. And they're going to be attacked because of uh, because of thanks to Mr. Uh, uh, Greenblatt and his organization. He's he's saying that uh, Bolivovic is saying that Greenblatt came from the Democratic Party and basically made the ADL a, a democratic organization. And it doesn't care for ordinary Jews. OK, I, I agree with that. But the problem, the other side of the coin is that basically uh, the Jews took over the Democratic Party so that now you have a Merrick Garland. Does anyone seriously think he as applies the laws in some type of equal fashion? He's like the Cheka. This is lawfare. Uh, you've got the, this this weaponization of the law by all of these Jewish prosecutors who are taking uh, Soros money.
0: So it's isn't it like every member of Biden's cabinet, either Jewish or married to a Jew? I think so.
1: Yeah. They have, they have so many Jews, they, they could have a minion if it were a synagogue. Mm-hmm. And this is the other side of the coin that we're not talking about. Uh, the Jewish influence, obviously, the ADL now represents uh, the Democratic Party. I'm sure the Norma Podhoretz's, the commentary crowd are upset about this, the neoconservatives. But we don't talk about... Uh, the effect that uh, the, the, the what the entree they get to the party and the effect that they have, because basically they blew up the whole black Jewish uh, alliance, which is in many uh, one of the crucial features of the Democratic Party. Complete recklessness. I mean, I don't I don't did they panic or is it uh, I think it's more plausible that they panicked because people were talking about Kanye too much and they needed to distract it by talking about this black Hebrew Israelite stuff. Uh, which is apparently what Kyrie believes.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right, Mike. It, it isn't just the people in the nation of Islam, like a Brother Dimitri Muhammad, who was on this radio show two weeks ago talking about Kanye, but I think the whole black community now is uh, pretty annoyed. So, yeah, I think I think you're you're onto something. We'll see what the the lasting fallout of this is. It's in the past. The Jewish uh, lobby has managed to survive a lot of scrapes, and we'll see if they uh, find a way to get out of this one. Well, I think we're at the end of the show, so it's uh, always great talking with you. And, by by the way, while I have you, Mike, uh, are you able to do False Flag Weekly News on either Saturday the 19th or 26th? That would be one week or eight days from today or or 15 days from today. What do you think? You're on the spot.
1: Uh, Uh, Okay, I'll I'll email you. I have to to, to check my
0: calendar. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Well, thanks so much. Keep up the great work. Uh, E. Michael Jones of Culture Wars. Uh, Take care. Thank you, Kevin. Bye-bye. It's Dr. E. Michael Jones, Kevin Barrett here, back in the next hour to talk with Scott Bennett. He's a former U.S. Army Psychological Warfare Operations whistleblower.